Mailage. Mailage is what we are talking about today. Mailage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream, love, true love, marriage. Now, thank goodness we do not talk like that, but we do talk about marriage like that, don't we? Marriage, especially in Christian circles, is held up as the end-all, be-all. I met several girls at college who were there simply to get their MRS degree. If you don't get that, think about it. It'll come to you in about 30 seconds. Uh, And before you think it's just a girl thing, I knew many guys who were there for the exact same reason. They only went to college because they are looking for a wife. There is this great desire to be married, which also brings with it a, a great fear. What if I don't find someone? Does that mean that I'll never be happy and I'm doomed to be alone? There's this, there's this obsession with marriage, and that, that actually influences our, our understanding of sexuality. And so tonight, I want us to continue the conversation we've been having around sexuality. We are seeking the clarity that the Bible gives us on an often blurry subject. Uh, and if you were here last week, hopefully you'll remember that we said that God's goal for our sexuality is not to be heterosexual, it's to be holy. And the way that plays out is being chased before marriage and being faithful in marriage. And so tonight I want us to, to speak to or tackle the marriage portion of that. But since none of you are married, I think the best way to do that is to make sure that we're all on the same page about what God's design and goal for marriage is. And so from our text, Genesis 2, 15 through 24, I want us to move toward a biblical understanding of marriage by looking at what marriage is not, what marriage is, and what it's for. Okay. So first off, marriage is not the cure for your loneliness. Uh, no one wants to go through life alone. No one wants to eventually die alone. And so So oftentimes we think, well, marriage seems like a really easy way to solve that problem. Uh, And and it seems biblical too, right? Uh, After all, in our text, we're told that the Lord looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so if you're lonely, the divine solution must be to go and get married. But notice what God does say in, in verse 18. It's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, I will make someone to keep him company. That's not what he says at all, is it? He says that he will make him a helper fit for him. So now we have to ask ourselves this question. What does Adam need help with? And it's explained in the context of verse 18. God has given Adam dominion over the earth. He's uh, supposed to be working and keeping it, which is what he's doing in verses 19 and 20 when he's naming the animals. That's what he needs help with. And so Eve was not given to Adam so that he wouldn't be lonely. God made Eve so that they might help each other accomplish the reflective work that they are given as images of God. And so so it's not the cure for your loneliness. Marriage is also not the reward for our chastity, uh, which is another way, it's an old-timey way of saying uh, fleeing sexual immorality. Uh, There is this idea among Christians that the reason we say no to sexual temptation now, the reason we stay pure before marriage now, 
is because it guarantees us a, a blissful, satisfying marriage. And that's just not true. I have watched people who believe this, gotten married, and they have ended up in, in, in just utter despair in their marriage because it's not the euphoric reward they expected. And so they either stay in the marriage and they are deeply unhappy and bitter at God, or they just get a divorce and hope the next time it's better. And, th and that really flows into a, a larger bucket, and I think it's really the catch-all for our misconceptions on marriage. And that's that marriage will complete you. That marriage will solve all of your problems. There's this sense that our lives are incomplete, that you aren't experiencing all the joys, highs, and pleasures that life has to offer, and so you go looking for the one, you know, the one who can make all of your dreams come true. And what viewing marriage this way does is it actually dehumanizes whoever you end up with. It turns them into a means to make you happy, secure, and comfortable. And, and here's what all these things have in common. They are all me-focused. If our perception of marriage is about us, about our needs and our happiness, then we, we fail to understand how the Bible speaks about marriage. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't look for compatibility and attraction and the like. What, what I'm trying to say is that marriage is not ultimately about you. So what is it then? Well, the Bible understands marriage to be a covenant. Now, a covenant is a, a legal and binding agreement between two individuals or parties, and that's, that's what we have here in, in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's covenantal language. The man is covenanting to leave his father and mother and hold fast, literally be glued to his wife. And, and of course, the, the woman is pledging the same thing to the man. Now, you might hear that and think, that's boring. Where's the romance? Where's the passion? There's none of that in legal documents. But it's actually this binding nature of a covenant that makes passion and love possible and it allows it to grow. And, and you can see that when you compare marriage to one of its competitors, cohabitation. Uh, cohabiting has become this popular arrangement over the last decade or so, uh, even among Christians, uh, where, where they, they take most of the elements of marriage, um, living together, sleeping together, doing life together, but they do so without any binding commitment whatsoever. And, and they have their reasons. They're trying to save money on rent. Uh, they, don't, they went through uh, a messy divorce as kids and they don't want to relive their parents' mistakes. Or they just don't want to do it. But what they've done by removing the covenant part is they've made the bedrock of their relationship performance-based. They are together because they are meeting each other's needs. But, but should that ever cease to happen, or, or maybe something better comes along, what's to keep them around? Nothing, because it's all based on performance. See, see weddings, weddings aren't the big day because it's a declaration of present love. It's significant because two people are being glued together. <laughs> they are committing to love each other tomorrow, the next day, 10, 20, 40 years or more down the road good or bad, highs and lows, sickness and health, till death parts them. 
And it's that type of commitment, uh, devoid of performance, that allows love to flourish. And that's what marriage is. It's this covenant between two people. And when we understand marriage that way, it really clears up what marriage is for, uh, which the Apostle Paul helps illuminate that for us uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 31 and 32, where he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, this should sound very familiar to you because it's our our text from this evening in Genesis. Paul is quoting Genesis 2, and then he says it points to Jesus and how he relates to the church. In other words, what we see in the covenantal relationship of marriage is a a foreshadow or a, a foretaste of the covenantal relationship we will experience for eternity with Jesus. Marriage is to be a reflection of the faithfulness that God has and will display toward us for eternity. And so this relational faithfulness means more than simply not cheating on someone. It's a, it's a combination of love and loyalty and, and generosity. Uh, which we see all of these things as we back up and look at the context in Ephesians where Paul describes Jesus doing all of this. Uh, that, that Jesus loves the church, which is demonstrated by him giving all that he has and is for them. We see his loyalty sticking to them, caring for the church as he would himself, and we see his generosity presenting the church in all of its splendor. See, the reality of, of God's faithfulness is what marriage is supposed to reflect an image. And so the ultimate point of marriage is to be a reflection of God's faithfulness. And like we said last week, it's one expression of God's ideal for sexuality. And so so let's wrap wrap it up this way. Here's how this fits into our conversation. What I'm trying to do tonight is adjust our expectations, to help adjust your expectations. God's primary aim in marriage is not to make you happy. His aim is to make you holy. It's a means that he uses to make you more like him. This is why the expression of God's ideal for you when you get married is faithfulness. 